Hey there, and welcome to episode 15 of the Beneath the Sats podcast produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Ron McKittrick. Joining me today is 76ers writer for The Athletic and EV Hoop scout, Mike O'Connor. Mike, thanks so much for joining me. No problem, Robbie. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. Now, Mike, I wanted to start with discussing the 76ers in the East. The 76ers and the Celtics, my team, were two teams in the preseason that were really predicted to face each other in the Eastern Conference by many, but they both ended up losing in the second round. Now, Kawhi and the Raptors recently defeated the Bucs, and so they're going to be facing the Warriors in the finals, which starts on Thursday of this week. But what did you make of the play of the teams in the East so far, but more specifically the performance of the Celtics and then the 76ers you covered this year? Yeah, I think, um, first off, I mean, it, it was, I'm a little bit surprised. Uh, I'm, I'm more impressed by Toronto than I thought it would be. I did not think that they uh, would win that Milwaukee series. Um, but just in general with the Celtics and Sixers, I mean, I think you mentioned it like before the season, these were the two teams that everybody picked to contend for the finals coming out of the East. And, um, right. and you know, neither team ended up in the conference finals. So both have to be disappointed. But they both just took such strange routes throughout the season that nobody could have expected. I mean, I, I don't think many people expected the Celtics to implode just from a culture standpoint and from a chemistry standpoint. Um, but that's exactly what we saw. And, and I think like, you know, all the Celtics drama all year, there was this sort of like lingering hope, like maybe they can flip the switch and in the playoffs, all of a sudden everything will make sense. Um, and that just didn't happen. I mean, after I, the game one against Milwaukee, I think was just a fluke. I mean, the Milwaukee had just played the Pistons who are, and they were without Blake Griffin most of the series. And they just were completely like almost like thrown off by facing an, a decent team in the Celtics. And I think that's what led to that game one uh, loss. But, you know, I just think the Celtics had had at the end of the day, too many cooks in the kitchen. And uh, there were, there were just some chemistry issues that that team wasn't going to overcome. And I think, you know, we, we can talk all we want about how the regular season doesn't matter in the playoffs or where things, you know, really get going. But some of those losses the Celtics had, you know, like just blowing leads to Charlotte and the Clippers and, and like just teams that, that we expected them to just blow out in the beginning of the season. We're watching the Celtics implode against these teams. Um, I, I think that was an indicator all throughout the year that we shouldn't have expected this team to make that much noise in the playoffs. Yeah, and the too many cooks in the kitchen is a good way to put it because I've talked about it on the podcast a million times and – this is probably the last I'm going to talk about the Celtics because I've done enough ranting and raving about the team and the frustrations, especially from being from Boston and being in this area. People that were frustrated with the team all year long, and they just had too many guys who wanted to take too many shots that didn't match well from the beginning. And it was really apparent against the team like the Bucks, who were, as you said, you know, I, I thought the Bucks were going to beat the Raptors because against the Celtics series, they were really impressive. Their defense was phenomenal. I thought the coaching was great, and Giannis was a beast, but. You talk about the Raptors and Kawhi Leonard, and Kawhi Leonard really seemed like he was the difference for this team coming in and getting them to the finals. But as we transition to the finals here against the Warriors, do the Raptors have any hope? Because I just don't see them being able to challenge the Warriors. But is there a reason why I should be wrong about that? Um, I, th- I do think the Raptors have a puncher's chance. They, I, I, I would maybe say they have a 30% chance, 35% chance. I mean... The, the number one reason is just Kawhi Leonard. But, I mean, I think the Warriors, you know, 
we've talked so much about how, uh, you know, th- their style without KD and how they, they have really just gotten into that gear where they look like the team from 2016 again. Um, but I think that the Warriors could face some sort of, I don't want to say chemistry issues, but just like issues with calibrating their offense. I mean, if DeMarcus Cousins comes back, that's just a totally different style of play uh, that they're going to have to fall into. And and they've gotten used to one without him and without anybody like him. Um, Kevon Looney's done a great job uh, just defending and making hustle plays. Um, and he doesn't need any touches. You know, he's just, he's just going to work hard and do the dirty work. And that's not necessarily what Cousins does. Um, obviously, DeMarcus Cousins is a better player than Kevon Looney. But my point is that it's just an adjustment from – their style of play. And I, I, I just wonder if we'll see like if the Raptors can seal game one at home and then Cousins comes back in game two and the Warriors have this adjustment uh, to, to change the way that they play. And that, that I think favors the Raptors. And then you look at then they might have to welcome KD back into the mix, um, which could be good and could, again, throw off their style of play. So I just have a lot of questions with, you know, the Warriors – kind of like not conflicting styles, but they do have multiple styles of play that depend on the personnel that they have. And they're inputting these pieces one at a time. And I wonder if that could throw them off. Yeah, it's a good point. And at the end of the day, I really do think the NBA is a talent league. And I think the difference between a team like the Warriors and a team like the Celtics is that the Celtics were not talented enough. And they had a lot of guys who wanted to get their shots up and they didn't mesh well. And the Celtics play as you're talking about with the Warriors may change depending on if Kyrie Irving is in there or Rozier's in there or whoever but the problem with the Celtics was they didn't have enough guys that were talented I think with the Warriors they're just so good that even if they do have any sort of chemistry or flow issues or have to play a different way with Cousins back just I mean the talent of of Curry and Durant and Clay and Draymond I just have a hard time seeing them lose in a game in a seven game series yeah, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. I mean, I, I'm certainly not betting against the Warriors. I'm really just trying to imagine, like, if the Warriors are to lose, how would it happen? Right. Um, and I think, you know, that's sort of, like I said, those sort of, like, conflicting styles. I do I, I do think the Warriors will win the series. Um, if the Raptors are to win, I think it just comes from, I mean, Kawhi has to dominate. They have to continue to get hot shooting from their bench. Um, and, you know, like I said, the Warriors have to falter a little bit. Um, and I thought it was. I thought you made a good point. I mean, the Celt about the Celtics. There, it is a talent-driven league, and and you know, for as much as me or anybody else can can just yell about chemistry issues and whatnot, like at the end of the day, like Gordon Hayward was not the same player, and Jason Tatum took a. I don't want to say took a step back, but didn't improve. I think he took a step back, especially in the playoffs. That's that's totally fair to say, and and you know, Terry Rozier didn't shoot the ball well, especially uh, you know just at the end of the year and the entire team just have, they have too many guys that take too many mid range shots. They don't get to the rim and they don't create enough quality looks. They rely too much on tough shot making. So I think it's both of those things. Like you can say that, you know, they have all these chemistry issues, but we shouldn't ignore the actual cracks in that team in terms of talent ability um, and just, you know, general style of play. Yeah, well, you're preaching to the choir about the Celtics, and I agree with you on all those points. I do want to transition a little bit to the free agency period, talking a little bit about the Sixers, but also other players as well. Now, in the NBA, it's, oh, it's always hectic. You got guys like KD and Kyrie 
who might be going to the Knicks. We're going to have to see about that. Jimmy Butler is another guy who could go elsewhere. You had a tweet about Butler during the playoffs, and you said, quote, Butler has been such an anomaly during his time in Philly. The defense comes and goes. The three-point shot disappears and reappears. One thing that never changes, he's shown the hell up in every big game and every clutch situation. Then in an Instagram post after the loss, Jimmy Butler wrote, To Philly and my teammates, thank you. Now, some people viewed this as a goodbye note. How did you interpret it, and do you think Butler will sign with another team? I did not interpret that as a goodbye note. I mean, I I, I don't know. You you never know, Jimmy. <laughs> so, some of the stuff he posts on social media is just very strange, and it's just super cryptic, and it's it's just weird. Um, but I think it would be insane for him to write a goodbye note that he's made his decision six weeks before free agency has even started. And we don't know where any of the other stars are going. I mean, I just think, I think that would be insane. I think there's a, a very real chance that he's back in Philly. Um, if I were a betting man, I would probably bet that he would be back. Um, but the thing is that I don't think Jimmy Butler knows for, for certain what he's going to do. Um, I'm sure that he will take his sweet time and he will see where the other stars land. I think that, you know, every numerous reporters have hinted at the fact that, you know, he he's, he's had a sort of an eye for LA throughout his career and he's got a house out there and, but that's true for a lot of guys. Um, but yeah, we'll see. I mean, my, my, like I said, I think that money talks and the Sixers can offer him a lot more money uh, than anywhere else. And I think that the Sixers really liked what they saw in the playoffs. I mean, like I, like I said in that tweet, there were a lot of times this year throughout the regular season where it you weren't sure if the Jimmy Butler thing was going to work out here in Philly. And it was just, there were so many times where Jimmy would float in and out of games or Jimmy would just, you would see him like, uh, the occasional game where he would just have like seven points and stand in the corner the entire game and hardly play defense. And it was like, what is going on? It, it just didn't seem like the pieces were fitting together very well. Um, but I really think in the playoffs, he he really stepped up his game. And I, I just think he had another year that he was sort of saving for that. Um, and I think the way that he operated as the centerpiece of the offense in the playoffs, I think sort of validates from the Sixers perspective that they should give him max money. I certainly don't have any inside information. I mean, I, like I said, I don't think Jimmy knows what for sure what Jimmy's going to do. Um, you know, I think he and Joel Embiid built a really good relationship. Um, he had a lot of praise for Brett Brown, said he really liked playing for him. Um, he did a lot of things to sort of involve himself in the community and and with, you know, the, the team, the organization. Um, so it, it, it seemed to me like, like, it went smoothly, but you know, you never truly know. And you talk about guys not knowing and guys not happy. We can then talk about Kyrie Irving and the Celtics <laughs> and what a mess it was. I don't know what it looked like from the outside being from the inside, the whole city, the hatred for this guy from the city of Boston for the Celtics was something I've never seen for Celtics team and Celtics fans. Usually there's hatred for certain players on the Red Sox. Generally, you know, there's a lot of positivity with the Patriots because they are so successful and guys like Brady and Belichick have had so many, so much success. But usually there's not a ton of frustration with players and questioning their character and heart and how much they actually care about playing. And people question that about Kyrie Irving and he would seem miserable all season long. What are your thoughts on Kyrie Irving and Durant? Those two guys have been talking about the Knicks. Do you think they're going to the Knicks or what, what are your thoughts on where they might end up? Well... I mean, 
both guys are just so hard to get a read on and and they they love like sort of like Jimmy in his social media post they love just throwing these cryptic little like tidbits out there about their own personal thoughts and whatnot and it's so yes. hard to interpret like what they're actually saying um I I I the way that the Celtics season ended um I would just from the outside I would be surprised to see Kyrie back next year I think the fans like you said would be very upset to see Kyrie back <laughs> and I just can't see a superstar like wanting to go back to that sort of situation Maybe, I mean, maybe to his credit, he'll say, you know what, we got to get this thing right. And maybe, you know, Danny Ainge will reshape the team. Maybe they trade for Anthony Davis. And that's what gets Kyrie to uh, to resign. And in that event, like, if you're the Celtics, you have to feel pretty good. I mean, I, like, the problem in the locker room last year, this past year, was sort of like Kyrie versus the young guys, right? Absolutely. Uh, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier and whatnot. If it's a different team and it's Kyrie and Anthony Davis and and maybe Horford and more veterans, maybe you feel better about that that team chemistry. Um, that's a possibility too. But in terms of KD and uh, the Knicks and whatnot, I don't know. It's 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 strange. Like some people around the league will say, like, yeah, like KD to the Knicks has been done for a year. Um, but like, it's just like, like I said about Jimmy. I don't think KD knows for sure. And he's he's just a guy who can change his mind very fast. Um, but who knows? I think I do not think it's very likely that KD and Kyrie uh, will team up in New York. I just sort of like just reading both of those guys. I think both like KD really wants to have a team where he feels like he's the lead dog and he doesn't right. have to deal with these like, you know, the asterisk on his championships and – um, you know, Golden State is better without better without him. He doesn't want to deal with that, obviously. And same thing with Kyrie. He wants – that's the reason he left Cleveland. He wanted to have his own team. And I, I just – you know, there's a chance both those guys come together and, and you know, compromise and want to share a team in New York. But I think both of them want the same thing, and they might not get it. I, I think one possibility that really intrigues me is, like, Kevin Durant and Kemba Walker in New York. I mean, Kemba's from New York – he surely would love to play for a winner. Um, and I think he would be a really good number two for KD. Um, I'm totally spitballing here, but that's just, I'm just trying to get a read on, on all those guys. And I think that's, that's one possibility that I could see happening. Well, I think the free agency question is an impossible one to answer. Cause as you said, all these guys are so hard to read and it seems like they're very emotional and they go day to day. And especially Kyrie Irving, when things are great, he's happy here. He's told the fans that he was going to stay here. And then they asked him later, he said, ask me in July. You know, I talked to Adam Kaufman, who's a pretty well-known Celtics guy in the Boston area who works for a bunch of different media outlets. He thinks Kyrie doesn't know, just like you thought Jimmy Butler doesn't know. So it does seem like there is a lot of information we found out later on by July 1st. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And I think, I think like, I think that's true for a lot of guys in the NBA. Like, some of the stuff that like gets passed along is like, like oh, like this guy is certain that like he's leaving in free agency or whatever. But like then he has like three good games or like the playoffs, like they win a playoff series or something, and like that guy changes his mind. And you know what I mean? Like it, this stuff like happens in real time, and guys change their mind, and it's constantly unfolding. And they might all this stuff that comes out like 
maybe they said something in frustration to someone around them, like uh, like they like they lose a game and and they say to someone around them like oh, I'm I'm leaving a free agency, right? And that gets out to the media, but then like cooler heads prevail and and like they change their mind, like so. The point is, my point is like you hear all these like oh like this guy's definitely gone and whatnot, like you can't always read into that because these guys are always changing their minds and these things can just flip so fast. Yeah. And I think from a Celtics fans perspective, at least for me, and I think I represent a lot of the Celtics fans in this area in that we are very frustrated with Kyrie Irving, but we recognize that with the team where we have right now, we need Kyrie. But my thought is it didn't go well this year. So if you're going to have to keep the same group, I don't want Kyrie, but if you're going to keep Kyrie, then get rid of some of the young guys and get a, hopefully a bigger name. But it should be interesting to see what happens in free agency with all these guys. I do want to end the podcast, though, Mike, by talking about your work at The Athletic and what you do on a day-to-day basis for a few minutes, if that works for you. Yeah, definitely. So I noticed you had some previous writing and radio experience. You graduated from Richmond, I believe you said, in 2017. How did you end up working for The Athletic? Um. Well, it started like I – I decided to go into a career in sports very late, later than I should. It was, uh, it was not until the end of my junior year in college. Um, and so I just spent like all of my senior year trying to, um, to build up a resume. And I started, started writing originally the first thing I started doing was doing like film breakdowns on YouTube. Um, and I got linked up with a b-ball breakdown, made a couple of videos for that channel. Um, and then I started writing for, for b-ball breakdown, started writing for the sixersense.com, uh, which is a Sixers blog, um, and just sort of built that up, um, just put in a lot of hard work. And, and, and I really like, since I, since I started, my whole thing has been like breaking down film, um, and just trying to provide like unique in-depth perspective on that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's sort of helped to differentiate me a little bit. Um, and then as, you know, I just I, like for a long time, I was just sort of like building that up and building that up with those two places. Um, and then eventually uh, Derek Bodner, um, who's who's our lead Sixers writer at The Athletic um, and has been, you know, a presence in Philly media for, for a while. Um, and he when The Athletic started in Philly, um, he was the first one to, uh, to like they hired him first and he was allowed to sort of build a team a little bit. Um, and I had had a good relationship with Derek had done some podcasts with him and whatnot. Um, and he, uh, invited me to, to contribute in a freelance role. Um, and I did that for a few months and just, just worked hard and eventually got lucky enough. They hired me full time. Um, and then here I am. And how have you enjoyed working there? It seems like it's a company that's thriving. Everyone on Twitter, it seems like is joining the athletic every single day. What has it been like to work for a company that is really growing every day? It seems like from the outside, at least. Yeah, it's, it's been awesome, man. I can't speak highly enough of the athletic. Um, and I know that's what like anyone would say, with right. <laughs> employment, but like, honestly, like it's such an amazing place. And, um, you know, all the stuff, like you mentioned, like it's growing so fast. Um, even if it wasn't, even if we just had our, our Philly team, like it's, it's still just like an amazing place to work. And I think like this has been talked about plenty, but just like the subscription model alleviates so many, of the issues in journalism today, like having to do clickbait type stuff. And like, you know, anytime, like any transaction happens, like most websites, because they're, 
you know, ad revenue base have to get a piece up like right away. And a lot of times you sacrifice depth for that. Whereas with the athletics, since we are subscription based, we don't have to worry about getting the most clicks instantly. We can go into more depth and sort of like take our time, maybe take, you know, overnight or take a day and really break down the implications of any transaction or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great place to work. And there are so many supportive people within it. Honestly, like, you know, I, it's the only place I've I've worked you know, like full time, but it feels sort of like an oasis. I mean, sports journalism has taken a lot of hits in these past several years. And, and there just seem to be a lot of places that are struggling. And, and there are a lot of people that are working harder than than they should and not getting paid as much as they should. Um, and it's tough. But I, I just like I said, I feel like the athletic has been an oasis in that sense. And, and they really treat us well. And it's just a great place. Yeah, and it's a great lead to another question I had for you about the sports media landscape in general. I mean, as you said, the Athletic, for people who don't know, has really gone with a different approach of going specifically online through a paid subscription with many different established journalists have have joined it. As I said, on, on Twitter, the big joke, you know, as I think people talk about all the time, you know, big, big news. I've decided to join The Athletic. It's really become the big thing on sports Twitter, at least, and I see it all the time. And, you know, the Boston Sports Journal is one that is... I think modeled it after the athletic in that way. And they're focused on quality journalism without clickbait material, as you mentioned, because it's paid subscription. It's not about necessarily the clicks and how many views you get. What do you make of where we're at in the sports media landscape? You talked about it a little bit. You got places like the athletic. Then you have other places that are a little bit different, like Barstool or Bleach Report that are trendier, huge on social media. They also have a different approach. They're also thriving. What do you make of the landscape overall? Because it's changing and I'm working for a newspaper and People are learning that you have to do it in different ways to be profitable in this time and in this age of heavy social media and internet. But what do you make of it all working for a company that is taking a different approach? Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not just sports media, it's media in general. Um, right. That, that, you know, anything that's, anything that is based on clicks or just the number of eyeballs that get on a particular story, like you are incentivized to like, I don't want to say like sensationalize it, but you're incentivized to drum it up as much as you can. Right. Um, and, and I think like that's probably the biggest issue in media right now, not just because of what it does to the bottom line, but because of how much distrust it leads to from the public. Um, I mean, like I, I, I personally think that the, and from what I've heard from more experienced journalists is that, the relationship between like NBA players and the media has never been worse. Um, and there's never been more distrust. Like every player probably feels like any piece that's coming out about them that they weren't aware of is just taking a hit at them. Um, Why do you think that is? Because of the, the model that we have and, and everybody just wants right. clicks. Everybody just wants a story. Um, and granted, like, a lot of like the window into like players lives and whatnot. That's a part of the revenue stream for the whole league, not just media. Like that's, that's a key part of what we do. Right. Um, but it also, like I said, creates this, this dynamic where like players are constantly worried that like, you know, we're just looking for a quick buck on like a, a story or something like that. And it's, it's, it's not just players. It's also, fans like the general public probably distrust the media a lot i mean like think about how much the, the term clickbait has become common like 10 years ago like 
I don't remember hearing the word clickbait. Like it's, it's really just become a thing, um, you know, because of the, like the structure of media and just having to constantly get clicks and whatnot. And it's sad. I mean, and, and we've seen a lot of places are struggling. Some like the big fish, like, like you said, like Bleacher Report and whatnot, they can certainly survive off that. But, you know, a lot of the smaller sites have a really difficult time, not only differentiating themselves, but just, just existing um, because they, they need, uh, you know, they can't compete with the clicks that a Bleacher Report gets or something like that. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, man, like this is the way I look at it. I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff, like, cause it, it pertains to me and I, I love just like analyzing where media is at. But like, I honestly just look at it as like every day that I get to do this job is like a blessing. Um, and it's like, it's, it's not a, it's not a real life job. Like I'm, I'm just, no matter how hard or stressful it can be, like at the end of the day, like I get to watch basketball and write about basketball for a living and, and it's a really cool job. So you know, I feel lucky that I've sort of found my place and I, I just hope to stick it out as long as I can and keep getting better. But, you know, it's, it is definitely, um, not just, not just our media industry, but all media is, is going through a tough time. And fortunately the subscription model can provide somewhat of an oasis, but, um, I think it'll continue to be an uphill battle. All right. Well, I think that's a good wrapping up point, Mike. Thanks so much for joining me. Is there anything else you want people to know about? Obviously, follow your content on Twitter and on The Athletic. Make sure to subscribe to the site. It's a great website. Anything else you want people to know that we didn't talk about or anything else you want people to check out of what you're up to? No, no, that's it. Yeah, just, just check out my work on, on The Athletic and uh, and follow me on Twitter. Um, and that that's really it. That's all I do. Um, thanks for having me on, man. I, I really appreciate it. All right, well, make sure to follow Mike O'Connor on Twitter, as he said, at M-O'Connor underscore MBA, and read all of his content on The Athletic. Mike, thanks so much for coming on again. No problem. Thanks again to Mike O'Connor for joining the podcast. It was just great to talk to him about the sports media landscape, his job at The Athletic, the 76ers, the Eastern Conference, and what his thoughts are on free agency and the NBA Finals coming up. But that's enough NBA talk. As I said, if any more crazy free agency stuff happens before July 1st, I'll talk about it on the podcast. But until then, I want to focus on first the Bruins and then the Red Sox because it really is getting to be baseball season. Very briefly, Bruins, again, big win last night as I'm recording this on a Tuesday. And it really looks like the Bruins are going to take this one home. And I told my friends, I missed the first two parades. I want to make sure I make the third. So start circling the calendar, whether it's going to be a sweep, five games, six games. It just seems like they're going to win it all. I'm no hockey expert. It just seems like this team has a championship DNA, and you can feel it and sense it. And it really does seem like they're going to win the cup. So circle the calendars. Try to get the off day, the personal day. I'm going to try to do it. That's the only real concern right now for me is which day is it going to be. A week or two, we're going to have to see. But to end the podcast... I want to discuss the Red Sox and more specifically Dustin Pedroia. And the Red Sox have stabilized right now and they're playing better baseball overall. Looks like JBJ seemed a little better with his 177 or something like that of an average, which you know he's going to get hot eventually to maybe get us up to average of 240, 250 to make him a manageable player out there. But it seems like things are starting to be a little more consistent with this Red Sox team, although they did lose you know recently to the Astros, who are a very good team. But 
the big news of the day yesterday was learning about Dustin Pedroia. And very sad news. Just out of Fenway that Pedroia is going to be put on the 60-day DL. And it was a somber Dustin Pedroia at the press conference just saying that he's not sure if he's going to, ever, going to be able to play again. He's probably not going to get surgery again. He doesn't know if the knee can hold up. And... I don't want to, you know, copy what they were talking about in the Section 10 podcast with Carabas with Barstool, but they've been talking about Pedroia now for the last couple of weeks, even before this 60-day DL happened. And they made the point, and I want to further talk about this point, that people have forgotten about Pedroia a little bit. And when I talked to Steve Peralt earlier in the year, he's also the Section 10 podcast, he was talking about it as well. And we thought he'd be able to play a little bit, but we didn't think he'd be an everyday player. We didn't expect him to be able to hold out for the season. And it's sad. For a guy who started in 2007 with the Red Sox, Rookie of the Year, MVP, four-time Gold Glove Award winner, Silver Slugger, Heart and Hustle Award for MLB, just the guy does every, did everything, not does, did everything the right way. And unfortunately, I can't talk about him in the present because it seems like his career is over. Based on how Pedroia t- was talking about it in the press conference saying, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be able to play again, does not sound like a guy who's very optimistic because, as we know, he's as cocky a guy as you will find, which is why he's been so fun to watch if you're a fan of the team, which obviously we all are, being in Boston. And he started in the league as the Rookie of the Year in 2007. I was 12 years old. I played middle infield, and I was much smaller when I was in high school, when I was a little kid. And Pedroia was listed at 5'9", 185, but I think he says he's really 5'8", 165. I think he's smaller than that. The fact that this guy was this successful, he's going to be a Red Sox Hall of Famer. He had a career 299 average, almost 2,000 hits, a little under that mark, over 300 doubles. As I said, the gold gloves, the MVP, the silver slugger. He's going to be a Red Sox Hall of Famer for sure. He won't be a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have the numbers, enough hits. But I just think... As they said in the second podcast, this guy is not being talked about enough right now. This guy is the face of the franchise. He was in between the David Ortiz, Mookie, somewhere in between that timeline here. You know, Poppy was the guy. But again, Pedroia was young when he came up, when Poppy was in the middle of his career. Then as Poppy got older, Pedroia was really the face of the franchise. And then, you know, Mookie overshadowed that when Mookie came in and guys like Ben and Tendi and they started to get a new group when guys like Euclid left. But Pedroia is really the last guy from that group, from that middle era here, and from maybe 07 to 13, 15, where he was really the face of the franchise. And we need to remember and appreciate him in that way. And again, they talked about the Section 10 podcast, so I don't want to copy those guys. But just to further nail down this point here, in that I don't think we're celebrating him enough. And yes, he will get that celebration. But I hear about it on Sports Talk Radio, they call him the little guy in a kind of a snarky way, certain guys on the air, almost like they're rooting against him, which is how can you root against this guy? This guy put his body on the line every single day, first one in the ballpark, competitive as heck, only cared about winning, great personality, such a likable guy, he really showed that size didn't matter. To do what he did at his size and height, the fiery nature that he displayed every single day, I don't know how you can't just feel horrible for the guy So let's appreciate the career. As I said, it's not over yet. It just feels like it's over. And to me, that's really sad, but it's really a time to appreciate what he did for this franchise because there really aren't many guys like him that were that competitive, that fiery, and who gave you multiple World Series. He was part of it. So as I said in my Gronk 
retirement tribute. Thank you, Gronk. Now to Pedroia, he's not done yet, but it might be looking that way. So Pedroia, thanks from all of Boston. It's been quite the ride. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKeever for the latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.